Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military and the other 99% of us we owe them online at americanveteranshow.com here's Stephen Tubbs Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show a very special edition celebrating a Colorado World War II veteran's 106th birthday Glad you are with us. We'll wrap up the program by taking a look again at the fentanyl issue, not only here in Colorado, but across the country. And it indeed is a global epidemic. We will talk with uh, one of our guests from earlier this week on the regular program straight ahead. And our guest, the former Special Operations Division Special Agent in Charge of the Drug Enforcement Administration in D.C., his brother was killed in Afghanistan as part of Operation Enduring Freedom. First, we couldn't do shows like this without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, focusing now, among other things, on Camp Lejeune veterans who may have been impacted over the three-decade span. Remember, that deadline is ticking down, so get in touch with John and the attorneys that care, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. 303-999-9999. That's 303-999-9999 or bosonlaw.com, B-O-E-S-E-N bosonlaw.com we begin however with the celebration of someone who was born in 1916 a colorado native originally from penrose colorado we had a chance to spend last friday at the home of john and shar sakulich we talk with shar about her amazing husband my name is charlotte sakulich i'm his wife We've been married 15 years. I met him in Canyon City. He was 89 years old and switching out the swamp cooler on my roof. He was, okay, wait a minute. He's swapping swapping a a swamp cooler. What was it about this 89-year-old handsome gentleman that you're like, wow, maybe he might be the guy for me? Well, I don't think I thought that right away. (laughs) We sat in the porch swing, and I got him a cup of coffee because he had fixed the swamp cooler up on my roof. And so 
um, he asked me, what year were you born? And I told him. I said, what year were you born? And he said, 19, or what year did you graduate from high school? 1937, he told me. And I went, oh, okay. Well, he was climbing up and down ladders and fixing swamp coolers for all the ladies in the neighborhood. And um, he had lost his wife about a year before I met him. I had lost my husband about five years before I met John. Let me just ask, were you even born in 1937? Oh, um, no, I was born in 1947. (laughs) That's what I thought. You both look incredible. You're in great shape. He was born, as you said, in 1916. I don't know if, to be honest, I've ever met anyone uh, as experienced in life. Well, John grew up with eight sisters in Penrose, Colorado, and I think part of his longevity is that farm he grew up on, but he also has a sister that's going to be 104 in February. So I think it's the blood. Good genes. Um, his background, he's been through so so much. He's told me so many stories. He was in the 114th Radio Intelligence, laying wires between the generals during the war all over Europe. Was there a reluctance to, to talk about his service? Because so many of the greatest generation, you know, so many millions of stories obviously have gone to the grave because a lot of people didn't want to talk. But it sounds like obviously now you as his wife, you, you've heard those stories. But does he like to talk about them? He does. Um, at 106, it's fading a tiny bit. But he has lots of stories. And I'm sure he would want to tell you about him and Pat Padavan, um, one of his friends in the Army. And what they did. 106 years old is, is a life long lived. And it sounds like you say he's had a, a tremendous one. What does he do after the service? Well, he owned a bar. He called it the joint. He had a joint for 20 years. And he's got tons of stories about how he didn't drink alcohol. But he saw a lot of people coming <laughs> and going. It was kind of like Cheers. He had to find his parents when he got home from the war. Is there a secret to success besides good genes? Um, does he drink uh, tomato juice or what, what's the success? He does have a little tiny bit of wine every night. He never smoked. He was always very active as a young man. He talks about running the mile. He was a boxer in the army. And what was it about him? Uh, he replaces the swamp cooler. What, what it, was it about him that... After that cup of coffee, you thought, oh, I'd like to talk with this man again. Well, I went to work for the state. I had moved to Canyon City because I had lost my my spouse. And um, I was working for Territorial Prison as their um, switchboard operator. And John would just call me once in a while and say, I don't have anybody to eat with. Do you want to go to this restaurant or that restaurant? And and I did. I don't know what it was that attracted me. It was he was just a really nice gentleman. And then what happened? I didn't know he was eighty nine. Yeah, uh, and and what happens then? How did the whole proposal thing go? <laughs> You're embarrassing me now. <laughs> I don't think there was much of one. Um, I think he said, "Do you think a young woman like you could get along with an old guy like me?" And I said, "Well, I don't know, maybe." <laughs> so. And that was the proposal. Pretty much. Was there ever a doubt in your mind? Um, 
Well, I've taken pretty good care of him over the 15 years, and I think he was just Mr. Active. He, even after we moved here to Lakewood in 2013, he was still getting up on the roof. He was climbing the ladders. He was in this tree one day. At 97? Like 96, 97 years old, he's up on the roof? His nephews came over one day to help him trim the tree, and they talked him out of getting out of the tree, get off the ladder. Oh, Please don't climb up on the roof anymore, Uncle Johnny. And he kind of listened to that. Mm-hmm. You guys seem to be a very patriotic family. And if I could do my, I can't even do justice. You know, you've got uh, the medals and the American flags and copies of some letters and old photos. You can't miss the big American flag uh, outside of your home as well. What does the greatest generation mean to you? Because... You know, I think you're on, you're the product of, right, the greatest generation. It's an an interesting story because if my dad was still alive, he'd be three weeks older than John. And my dad always wanted me to marry an older guy. He wanted me to settle down in Westcliff, Colorado. No, thank you. (laughs) I, I ended up with a wonderful marriage and two wonderful kids. I was married for 33 years to the love of my life. And we lost him to cancer. But um, I don't know. What would he think of John? I think he'd like John. My mom liked John. John knew my mom and her high school sweetheart. She married her high school sweetheart later after my dad died. But the thing about my dad is he never talked about World War II. He never mentioned it at all. And some of my brothers and sisters, there's 11 of us, there's still eight of us, we have searched everything to find out things about my dad because he never talked about World War II. And that is why I asked earlier, so many stories our veterans never talk. Men and women, uh, those that kept the home fires burning, doing the Victory Gardens, maybe they didn't talk about it or, or get their stories out, but especially those in, in, in service, that's why it's, um, it's got to be at least a good thing that your husband has shared the stories oh, with yes. you. He's shared them with a lot of his nieces, nephews, friends. And don't you think that's important? Because if we don't hear... Yes, you need to hear the stories because they're dying. Again, Shar Sekulich from their Lakewood home just a couple of days ago. Coming up in our next segment, stay with us because you will hear from a 106-year-old who I had the honor and privilege of sitting down and interviewing in his home. And also you'll hear as to how I got involved, and that was because of connections with Westera Credit Union. Kudos to them. Kudos to this credit union here in Colorado that supports our active duty and our military. We are off and running. Happy birthday, John Sekulich. We'll talk with you coming up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stefan Tubbs. Glad you were with us as we continue a special edition because it's not often you get to sit down and have the opportunity to speak with someone who has been on the planet more than 106 years. John Sekulich was born in November of 1916. He grew up in Penrose, Colorado and would become a member of World War II. Think about this. He was born during World War I and would fight in World War II. I want to start, though, first with how the interview actually came to fruition 
And that was because of connections I have with Westera Credit Union and their wonderful public relations team. Amy Trujillo is branch manager of Westera. They come into our branch regularly. And um, one instance where we were helping Char, she um, brought up the fact that John was going to be turning 106 years old very soon. And we wanted to make it a really big deal and celebrate his life and his service. So here we are in their home. I can't fathom this gentleman who you just presented a nice card and gift card to and and kudos to all of you at West Era for recognizing this because a lot of people just will go, oh yeah, well, how do you comprehend this man? Amy was born in 1916. Yeah, that's bizarre. Um, it is mind-blowing that he has lived so far up his chain and he's dedicated so much time in the service and he's here with us and it's amazing that he has made it this far and he's in gr- he looks great. He, he does not look one, no, 106. He, no, he does not. He looks great and he's in good spirits and he's talking to us and, you know, it's, it's just a great feeling to be able to celebrate that with somebody and to notice them and give them the support that they need. I mean, he has definitely put some good things out in this world and I think it's coming back to him. And you're saying that with a smile as, yeah. uh, as I think we can all hear. Have you ever met anybody older? I have not. No, he is the one person that has been over a hundred that I have been able to have the pleasure to meet. And it's amazing. We all learn about the wars in school and the history that goes along with it. And to actually have somebody here that has lived it and has, um, you know, grown into the man that he is because of what he did, that is something special. And I think that within history, we should never forget that. And I think this is a great time to celebrate that. Amy Trujillo with the Westera Credit Union, Belmar, Colorado branch. And it's a pleasure to, uh, to say that they did him right. They, they honored a man who is 106. And, of course, we had to as well at his home. John, we've got to sing happy birthday to you. Oh, yeah. I know it's probably been a, a lot of times, but are we all ready? Yeah, ready. Happy, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear John. Happy birthday to you. And then I had a chance to sit down with both Char and John inside their home, and I've never spoken with someone with so much life experience. I wanted to go fight for our country. My dad said he had to go to the country he lived in, and uh, I can go fight for my country. So I, I was in service for I don't know how long. I forget how long I was in. And Char's here as well, your wife. What do you remember about the early days when you were in Europe and the war was going on? Oh, I, I met a lot of people in southern England and in France and Austria. And I met a lot of German people. German, there were a lot of people in care for that war at all either. What did the 114th Radio Intelligence do? Well, I had an appointment, switchboard operator, and uh, we had a run and the captain, captain would come to me. I needed to be hooked up to the switchboard, so we'd have to run a line. Sometimes we'd have to go overhead. And uh, I helped the crews. I helped them climb poles. So, John, they were thick cables, and you laid it 
10 miles between different generals. You had to lay those cables out. And then what would happen during the night? Well, Germans would come out and chop them cables. they chop them? Oh, yeah. Then we'd switch it off for the call. At night, if I tried to go to sleep, I always had a phone with me. And the operator called me Say, said, Sarge, we can't raise so-and-so, Captain. So we'll have to get a crew and go out and look for the trouble. 106-year-old John Sekulich, his uh, birthday, 106th, uh, just last November. And it's a pleasure as, uh, as we have been trying to, to connect. And I'm so honored to meet you. You are a Colorado native through and through. Where did you grow up? Penrose. Penrose, you know where that's at? I've been through it, I think. I can't say, though, that I've, I've ever spent well, a lot of time there. It's about 20 miles south of Colorado Springs and about 10 miles east of Canyon City. What do you think of your wife? Tell me some nice things about your wife. Oh, she's a pretty nice gal. <laughs> I don't know what I, uh, Somebody asked me one time, who oh, did it work like she did? And... Uh, they asked me how, how she treated me. I said, oh, terrible. <laughs> she, I asked her for a glass of water this morning. This is one of yeah. his caregivers, uh, the other. Okay. And uh, she said, get off your lazy butt and go get it yourself. <laughs> your wife told me a secret that you were 97 years old and up in that tree trying to trim the tree. Oh, yeah. I was on the roof fixing <laughs> Fixing yeah, an air conditioner, too. Um, I hope that, that those days are over. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask a couple of, of, of obvious questions that you've been asked before. But, John, what does it mean to have lived this life so far? What is it like to be 106 years old? Well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you on that. What an experience you've had. What a ride you have had. The things you have you have seen, uh, you've gone through so much, including a recent pandemic. You've, got, you've seen a lot in your life. Oh, yeah. I saw in Malmody when the Germans came in there, shot 80 guys. And two guys, what was a German, they were all down. And they'd say, if anyone needs help, raise your hand. And the guys would raise their hand and they'd go over and shoot them, kill them. Two guys played dead. And first chance they got, they took off. They saved our life. Yeah, we were, we were in the Malmody already. Don't go any further in. They killed everybody there. So we tried to catch find them two guys uh, when was it John and I tried to find those two guys after we married and um, but I found their names I found their obituaries both of those men lived into their 90s John you you proudly wear your World War II veteran hat I know you love this hat don't you oh yeah do you wear it all the time oh most of the time do you often think about the the war do you think about World War II much oh yeah that's what makes a bad turn to sleep. I think about things that happened. One time, 
we got a shipment of cable and wire from the United States. And I, I couldn't believe my eyes. You know, the telephone wire, just like it got today. I picked it up. It didn't bend, it broke. I never saw that in my life. Hmm. Are you proud of your service? I know that is an obvious question. Tell me, tell me how proud you are even decades later to have, to have served. Oh, yeah. You know, we were taught to look out for, look out for everybody you work with. You know, you try to save everybody you could. John Sekulich, 106 years young, born in 1916. A salute to you, sir, for all time, and thank you for your sacrifice and your service. When we come back, speaking of sacrifice and service, the Drug Enforcement Administration, we've talked about fentanyl the last week or so on this program, our last episode, because we should, uh, because of myriad reasons. But our next guest coming up for the second half of the program, Derek Maltz with the formerly the DEA special agent in charge of the special ops division. He spent nearly three decades in the DEA and nearly 10 as a special ops special agent in charge. His brother was killed in Afghanistan. We'll talk with him coming up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stefan Tubbs. We continue this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. And as we have teased earlier in the program, on our regular program just this last week, we had a chance to talk with a former very high-ranking Drug Enforcement Administration special agent in charge, Derek Maltz. You may have seen him on Newsmax, on Fox, CNN, NBC, ABC. He joined us last week talking about fentanyl, and we'll talk in our next segment about his connection with the United States military. But our hat's off to all of those civilians who enter and serve the government obviously in so many hundreds of thousands of positions that keep our country going every day. But Derek Maltz, former special operations special agent in charge, he's a top dog at the DEA in D.C. And again, on this American Veteran Show, we talk about fentanyl. One thing I want to bring up regarding fentanyl is all these mass poisonings. Now, Colorado knows back in February right. last year, the five dead in Commerce City, and then the three brothers that died together, the King brothers, in an apartment in Denver in October. But here's the thing. Like, just two days ago, in Onondaga County, upstate New York, 25 poisons in 24 hours. Then, then before that, there were seven dead in the first 11 days in December. The same county had 30. They had 14 poisonings in 36 hours right before Christmas. Okay, so these mass poisonings are happening all over America, and no one's talking about them as well. Derek, we have uh, the opportunity to get texts in from our listeners, and many of them are coming in. So I'm going to try to get to a couple of them, at least this segment. Again, Derek Maltz is our guest, certainly a friend of the program, and we want to have him on again. Here's the first one. And I quote, we say that the open border contributes to drug smuggling, but the Biden administration takes advantage of the large seizures to say the Biden plan is working. And it's because of Biden that the drugs are being stopped at the border. What does Derek say about that? Go ahead. Well, that's a great observation. I appreciate the question, because that would be a logical thing for one to assume. But what people don't realize is what that's an indicator is how much is being supplied 
out of these labs in Mexico. And the CBP does tremendous work, so we have to give them credit. But just look at the price in Denver, 75 cents a pill, yep. okay, in, in, the, uh, in the distribution market, the wholesale distribution market. It just goes to show you they're selling these pills that they're so cheap now because the, the, the supply is off the charts. So let me give you an example to the listener. Back in like last year, there was a lab, the AP reported that one lab in Mexico was seized by the army. It was producing 70 million pills a month. One, one lab by the Sinaloa cartel. So yes, I do think it was an outstanding question because that's a logical thing to think. But it's really just an indication of supply is off the charts. And it's so cheap for them to make it in Mexico. It's less than 15 cents to make a pill in Mexico. If somebody dies, Derek, uh, we've talked with um, with Brian Besser about this uh, a few times. If somebody dies, are they going to the funeral? We all know, no, that's just collateral damage because it's, yes. it's all about whether or not they're intentionally trying to kill while making money or just trying to make money. Hey, if somebody dies, well, that's the price of doing business. Right. So just keep it simple. If it costs 15 cents to make a pill, you make a million pills, you invest 150 grand. You sell those pills for $10 in America, that's $10 million in sales without doing anything yep. other than getting the pills into America. It should enrage every human being with a heartbeat. And, of course, we live in this society of, well, that really sucks, but, uh, you know, it's 35 minutes past 5. It's time for dinner. I wonder what I'm going to have for dinner. It sucks, but this happens to other people. I'm telling you, we have said this over and over, and I'm going to just I'm going to keep it going. And if it's even just me running my head into a brick wall trying to make a difference, I'm telling you, these are not. We talked with Brian Besser last week. They're not even using letters of their text. They're using emojis to place orders. Friends, let's wake up. This is not your kid. Well, my kid was in his bedroom last night. He didn't go down to the seedy portion of Denver at 2 in the morning. No, they don't have to. Here's another one, Derek, uh, from one of our listeners, Will. Stefan, could you please ask the DEA guest why we don't declare the cartel's terror groups and send my rangers i have a feeling uh, we're talking about an army guy here and send my rangers in to wipe these effers out and lock up their money thanks will go ahead well will that's an excellent point will that's why i've been personally uh, talking about this for over four years we almost had president trump uh you know do the right thing and declare them terrorists and start ripping them apart i know with the capabilities of our dod our intel community our law enforcement patriots we can absolutely decimate these labs. And we're not thinking about going to war with Mexico. So let's put that aside. That's right. not what we're talking about. We're talking about destroying the cartel's capabilities, shutting down the chemical flow from China, shutting down the money laundering, seizing all their assets, preventing the cartels from traveling into America. So there's a whole plan we could put together very quickly. But unfortunately, this current administration is very soft on crime. And we know President AMLO, he has his hugs for thugs, no bullets policies in Mexico. So between him and Joe Biden, we're never going to do this. But let me highlight something very important. Joe Biden last December made a statement. You can go pull it up. As part of the transnational organized crime strategy for America, he said that the drug crisis is an unusual and an extraordinary threat to U.S. national security. So the question, Mr. President, then why the hell is the border wide open? Exactly. Doesn't make sense. Like, what are you talking about? And where is the border czar? She was designated to fix the problem. We don't even see her. We don't hear from her. Right. And then the DHS secretary is telling America that he has operational control of the border and it's a free for all. We're being invaded by 160 countries. 
from migrants from 160 countries. And all these gotaways, Stefan. I mean, people have no idea. I was at the border in a real Grand Valley, and I got briefings from DPS and also the Border Patrol, and my head's still spinning when I mm. talk to those executives about what's going on on the border. Like the morale, how bad the morale is, because they didn't, they didn't sign up for babysitting and migrant processing. They signed up to protect America. And also all these large groups that are coming in, the gangsters, the terrorists, the sexual predators. What about the 9,000 drones that are coming into our country from Mexico? And this was during that time frame. I was down there in April. And they're doing surveillance on our people. But the same cartels have C4 explosives that they drop from their drones on their adversaries. Mm. They have military-grade weapons. It's like an army right south of our border. And all these stash houses, we talk about humane way of dealing with immigration. We have people on top of each other in stash houses with no air conditioning, no water, because they didn't pay the cartels enough money. And what about that horrific incident in San Antonio when those poor people based to death yeah. in the tractor trailer in the middle of the summer, like 50 of them? That's the way they're treating human beings. So it's a bunch of BS. And what about the numbers, Stephen? We have nine months now, over 200,000 migrants being apprehended. And now there's reports out that this month, uh, the month of December, 250,000 apprehensions. It hasn't come out yet because the CBP doesn't want to release these controversial numbers because the president was just down there and they did the, the smoke and mirrors, you know, Blaming everyone else. Derek, listen to this. I call her the bag of rocks, the White House spokesperson. The president inherited a mess because of what the last administration did. They inherited, we inherited a mess. We inherited a mess. Now, I I think you can tell tell a lot of things from people when there's a crisis situation, and I'm sure our friends here in the Rocky Mountain Division of the DEA would agree. I'm sure you would agree with your pedigree and your background. There is a problem and an issue when there is an obvious problem problem right now but you go and do this you blame someone else the president inherited a mess because of what the last administration did they inherited a we inherited a mess i mean instead of blaming someone else and i don't care if it was a fellow democrat may never be but uh, you know whomever how about looking at the problem derek today and the amount of people that will wake up today and not not make it out of today Right. If you just look at the CBP website and you look at just the numbers, when President Trump was in office and now with the Biden administration, it's off the charts, the increases. You don't have to be an immigration expert to understand that this administration, they halted the wall construction immediately. They reinstated catch and release. They ended remain in Mexico policy. And now they fly the flag of Joe Biden in Mexico. They wear T-shirts in the Tijuana camp. And even the president of Mexico called Joe Biden a migrant president. So it's very obvious. It's just another lie. And that's the thing. No one gets held accountable. And that's a big problem in our country now. No one's being held accountable. So they get away with this stuff. Once again, from our regular program last week, Derek Maltz, the former DEA special ops special agent in charge in D.C. When we come back, his connection with the United States military and remembering his brother, who gave his life in Afghanistan. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We wrap the show this week with a continuation of one of our new friends of the program on our regular show, Monday through Friday, 
4 to 7 p.m. on our flagship station, 710 KNUS in Denver. We continue the conversation from last week with Derek Maltz. He, a former special agent in charge of the Special Operations Division within the Drug Enforcement Administration. And he is just a, one of the outspoken heroes, I think when it comes to talking about fentanyl and its dangers. We also, in this segment, as you hear, we will talk about the loss of his brother who served in Afghanistan. Let me give you a really simple analogy. If you had a massive water leak in your house on your second floor and your entire place was getting ruined, your your ceilings were falling down, your furniture was getting ruined, and the plumber came to your house, the first thing they would do is shut the main valve down, right? Then you triage, you figure out what the hell's going on, and you fix the overall problem. Right now, the supply is so vast and it's so off the charts, we need to shut down the capabilities to produce this poison. So we have to declare them terrorists. We have to use the technology. We have to get with the Mexican government, and we have to work with them. But if they don't want to work with us, we have to put America first. We have to destroy the labs. We have to actually shut down those precursor chemicals. We have to work and put pressure on China because the chemicals, the majority of the chemicals that are making this stuff are coming from China. And we have to get a better handle on the Chinese money laundering. We should shut down some of these student visas uh, because we know they're picking up millions of dollars worth of cash all over the country. But we really need a whole of government approach. And right now, People are not even addressing the situation. We're still trying to do harm reduction, which is fine, but they want to promote like self-injection sites all over America. (laughs) They want to encourage drug use. Look at Denver. You know, last time I was in Colorado, I didn't even want to go downtown Denver. But about 10 years ago when I was there, it was beautiful because I heard so many horror stories of the homeless and all the people in your face and the drug dealing and the crime. I stayed away from it. And that's pretty sad because that's a beautiful state. I love that state. I love coming out there, but I'm not going downtown Denver because the sanctuary city nonsense, just like in New York City, right? Merrick, Mayor Adams, he can't take the migrants that are coming into a city. They put them in a hotel. All the money taxpayers are paying. Now these people won't eat the food. They're starting fires. They're they're, they're having sex in the hotel. They're they're dumping out all this food every day because these migrants won't eat you know, the turkey sandwiches that they want to feed them. Mm-hmm. But it's costing 500 a night to put these migrants in a hotel. What about our homeless? What about our disabled veterans that are sleeping on the streets? What about our entire country that has never seen all these homeless people, but yet we're going to bring in 200000 a month? And what about the damn uh, gotaways? Over a million, okay? A million gotaways in this country. We have no idea who they are, where they came from, what they're here for, what are they going to do, what's their intent, did they come from Iran, from China, from from some uh, you know some extremist country, Syria, or I you know like Yemen? They hate America. They can come here and start devastating our country from within, and then everyone's going to say, "How did that happen?" Yep, exactly. That that is the most frustrating part. That is the most frustrating part. Is right here in our own backyard. We we have welcome welcome all of these buses from El Paso, like as as if we're we're welcoming Texans into Denver, and then we are overwhelmed. And then within the last two to three weeks, I mean, my God, I could take another three hours with you. Uh, Within the last two to three weeks, and all of a sudden, it's 
we've got a problem. And even the mayor of Denver in decay is just, how did this happen? That's the sickest part is it's the gaslighting. They create the problem. Then they blame everyone else. I want to, I want to just say again, Derek Maltz, um, terrific guest and thank you. Besser was right, man. <laughs> you, you are the real deal. And I look forward to your next visit, but on your, your Twitter profile, I want to say that a lot of your your tweets, and you've been on Dr. Phil, you've been on 60 Minutes, NBC, CNN, you've been everywhere. But on your and a lot of your social media, you include hashtag law and order, which I love. And I would be remiss if in the moments we have left, we only have a couple of minutes, but um, it says that your brother died in Afghanistan, United States Air Force. I just want to I want to be sure that that you can talk about him and and we all are in his debt and, and families like yours. Well, thank you very much for bringing that up. So I can tell you what, um, I think things happen for a reason, and that's why I got assigned to the Special Operations Division. It was two years after my brother died in one of the first helicopter crashes in Afghanistan. He and five others died in Operation Enduring Freedom. He was part of U.S. Air Force Pararescue Team, and he was so excited to go to Afghanistan to fight for this country and unfortunately came back in a body bag. But here's the point. When I got to the SOZ operation, it made me way more passionate than I ever would be because all I could think about was my last day on the helicopter when he sent a picture to his family, basically showing us, like, this is it. This is it. You'll never see me again. But he would always, I would always put that on my presentations and my briefings because it would remind me, what would Mike want me to do, sit back and relax or fight these bureaucrats any way I can and support these families who are burying their kids? And that's really what drives me. Mm. So as the families around America put their grief into action, I've tried to put my grief from the last like 19 years now, right, uh, into action any way I can and stop talking and let's start doing. And that's the problem with this country. The, you know, people that make these decisions on Election Day, you're living with your decisions. Colorado, I hope you can hear me. I'm not an obnoxious New Yorker, but you guys voted for what you got. Okay, so until you vote them out and hold people accountable, you're going to have the streets in Denver that you can't even go visit. You can't go watch a ball game because all those people on the streets. And it's only going to get worse with all these migrants heading your way because Colorado is a great state to be in. So they're going to be there and you're going to have to deal with it. And your schools are going to be overcrowded. Your taxes are going to go up. Your crime is going to go up. And unfortunately, the fentanyl death rates are already going up. Yep, yep. So thank God law enforcement is out there keeping you safe. So Amen. maybe more and more people would protect the integrity of the institution of law enforcement and support those brave men and women that are fighting for you every day. Derek Maltz, our thanks to him, joined us last week on our regular program, former DEA Special Ops special agent in charge. And once again, for a second week in a row, I just want to hammer home the point, even though this is, quote, unquote, the American veteran show. You know what? If our kids are dying today of fentanyl, they'll never have a chance to be a veteran, will they? This from our first interview a couple of weeks ago this new year with special agent in charge of the Denver Division or the Rocky Mountain Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration, Brian Besser. We live in unprecedented times, as you and I have spoke about. I... I'm in my 31st year in law enforcement. I have never seen anything like what we're experiencing now with this current public health crisis, public safety crisis. Please, friends, do your humble host here a favor. And if you have younger folks in your life, which, of course, you do. Have you talked with them about fentanyl? Is it your role? Well, if you care about them, I personally think it is. Don't have 
this story play out in your own family or circle of friends? To me, this moment, it, it, this whole thing is to walk into that room, walk towards her casket for the first time and see the profile of my daughter's beautiful face and her porcelain skin and her blonde hair. I sank and I felt like I died a million deaths in that one moment. I had been for seven days. This is seven days after she had passed. I had heard the words that she's gone, but I hadn't seen it with my own eyes yet. Mm. And until that moment, it was like I was just trapped in some weird twilight zone. Please don't think that this can't happen to you. Please, please, please. Every type of family in America is being affected. Every age of person is being affected. It's the most dangerous time in America to be a teenager right now. Uh, These drugs are so easily accessible. So uh, please don't think this can't happen to you. If you have kids, please talk to them right away. Ask them what they know. Just be open and honest with them and and, uh, safeguard them before it's too late. There's no do-overs here. Andrea Thomas there. She joined us a couple of weeks ago. And Katie, who lost her daughter, both of them lost their daughters to fentanyl. I realize this is the American Veteran Show, but it is our duty. Thanks again, for tuning in and thanks again for Derek Maltz and his time that wraps up this week's edition for producer Michael Arpaio. I'm Stefan Tubbs. Have that talk, especially with the younger folks in your life about fentanyl and remember our troops. Talk to you next week. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.